Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, hon, it's me, Danielle. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I'm here to talk about all the ways multi-level marketing and mental health do not mix. It is important to know that this podcast is not meant to diagnose or for treatment. This podcast is based off of personal experiences and opinions and is meant to educate and entertain. Now sit back and start healing with me on this episode of From Huns to Humans. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of From Hunts to Humans. I am so excited. This is the first episode that I'm recording for 2023 this year. I know that you guys have a couple episodes out already, but this is the first time that you're actually hearing my voice in 2023. So happy new year, guys, and I hope you're doing well. Um, I'm really excited today to talk to Tracy Conan, who is I actually, I'm just going to have you introduce yourself because I'm probably going to say it, it wrong, but you have a really cool story and you have a really good uh, advocacy history in the anti-MLM space. So I'm just so excited to learn from you today and hear what you have to say. Hi. Well, hi, and thank you for having me. I usually do get people saying, introduce yourself and tell us what you do. I am a forensic accountant. And that means that I find money. So I'm a fraud investigator, very, very simply. And I've been doing fraud investigations for over 25 years now. So that is my career. But a long time ago, uh, probably 23 years ago, I was in Mary Kay. And I was in Mary Kay for about 18 months. And I had stars in my eyes. And I was going to just rise to the top of that pyramid. Except I didn't know it was a pyramid when I first got into it, which is funny to people because as a fraud investigator, how did I not know what a fraud MLM was? But I was naive when I was introduced to it. And I was introduced to it by people who were uh, proclaiming themselves Christians and proclaiming that they were honest and they were going to show me every step of the way. And so it was easy uh, to be fooled when, when in um, the late nineties, there wasn't much on the internet about MLM and about the truth behind it. Wow. You know, that's such an amazing point that you bring up too, because one of the things that I like to talk about is that anybody can be scammed. Like anybody with any background can be scammed because it's not playing on our knowledge per se. It's playing on our heartstrings usually, right? Well, it's called a con game for a reason. Someone con game is a confidence game. Someone is coming and gaining your confidence and your trust and exploiting that. And that's why MLM is so insidious because they play on that trust. They play on the potential. They play on, you know, look at this example of someone who succeeded in this. You could do this too. They hide all the important things like almost every single person gets involved, loses money, but they are always playing on that trust, that common thread with you, whether it's the church you belong to or a mom's group that you found each other in or something common in your background. Yeah. Oh, it's so, that's such a good way to explain it because this is something that I really like to highlight all the time because when people on the outside that have never been in MLMs are always like, you know, you get the comments of like, how could you be so stupid? Or like, how would you fall for that? Um, you know, and I heard that sometimes because like, I'm a therapist. So people are like, you like understand people and how they work. Like, how did you not see this? And I'm like, 
because I'm a human being, like, and I can be manipulated. And it's presented as a legitimate business opportunity. These companies make billions and billions and billions of dollars in profits by promoting this as a legitimate opportunity and doing everything they can to present it as a legitimate business that you will be running. And so many people have a dream of being self-employed and having their own business, but they don't see any other way. They say, oh, I could never get the money it takes to start to open a store of my own, or I could never open my own professional services firm, or I could never leave my job and become a self-employed therapist, right? They're looking for an opportunity. And a lot of people inherently want that, but don't see another way to do it. So when this MLM comes and it's presented as a legit business opportunity with very little upfront investment, because they'll never tell you about the thousands that they want you to spend. Um, it's easy for people to be drawn into it because these companies have made it look so legitimate. Right. Absolutely. So do you want to take us down a little memory lane journey of how you got into Mary Kay? And I, I think the more interesting part is going to be how you got out, but I'm very curious, like, what's your story? Certainly. I attended a Mary Kay party like everyone does. And that's where it all starts for Mary Kay is what they call the skincare class. Just get people to the class, because if you can start talking to them and then, you know, you move to that next step of, would you be willing to watch this video or would you be willing to do a practice interview with me? I have a goal of 20 practice interviews this month. Would you help me out, please? So it was all very um, non-threatening. I, I went to the class, I listened to the thing and they talked about how much money you could make. And at the time I was working at a small forensic accounting firm and I didn't see a long-term future with this firm. I will never be a partner at this firm. I will never be a part owner. And being completely self-employed in the world of forensic accounting wasn't on my radar either. I think I was, I was young and I was in that same position of thinking that I would never own my own business. So when they came to me and said, you could own your own business and here's how much money you could make, it was very enticing to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I think that's where a lot of people get really drawn in because especially like we live in like this society where our money is controlled by other people. So it sounds like you're going to be in control of what you're going to make and how much you're going to work and all of this stuff. And it just sounds amazing. But in reality, it's controlling everything about your life instead of giving you control. And my recruiter knew that I was an accountant. So I was very numbers driven. So she focused a lot on the numbers. And it was, if you're willing to work this many hours per week, this is how much money you can make. On average, this much is sold at every skincare class. So if you're willing to hold three to four skincare classes a week, this is how much you can make. And then you have reorders of products later from these people. And if you keep holding and you keep building, and the rub was that none of those numbers were true. The average that's sold at a skincare class is far lower than they'll ever admit. The rebuying afterwards is far lower than they want you to believe. And so, whereas I came in thinking that if I was willing to put in X number of hours, this is what I was going to build. It was all built on a lie. The, those numbers were never going to come true. And also like, you know, when you think skincare class, you're thinking, I mean, you're, you're thinking probably at least five to eight people in a room, right? Maybe in reality, we're really thinking three to five people. Um, but like when you're, in like the starry eyed phase of your MLM world, you're like, yeah, I'm going to have all these classes with like five to like 15 people in each one. It's going to be great. And, but like, where do you get those people? Like how do that's you get exactly, people to go in those classes? That's exactly it. The skincare classes were supposed to be typically three to five people. And if you got more than that, it was great. If I wanted to hold those three to four classes per week, I was probably going to have to book 12 to 15 classes per week. In order to be able to book that many classes, I was probably going to have to talk to three times as many potential victims. 
So that was on a weekly basis, I was going to have to be talking to 40 or 50 people, brand new people who might be interested in holding a skincare class. That is, and those people, where are they going to come from? They don't materialize out of thin air. And there's only so many Starbucks locations that someone can hit up in the morning trying to find new victims. I really, really, really appreciate you using the word victims here uh, in like the recruiting language uh, that we've used in MLM, because um, I don't think that a lot of people do that. And it really takes accountability on our part of being in an MLM and being part of these things. And I really appreciate you for doing that because that is what they are. Like we are looking for victims when we're looking for people to join our MLM. And it's really hard for people I interview a lot of people that are recently out and I know that you've been, you've been out for a while now. So uh, it's, you have a little more distance. It might not feel as hard, but I think it's really hard for us when we're talking about it to really be like, wow, like these people were, these were my victims in, in this and that's sad and hard. And it's, it's just very hard. So thank you. Um, And in all of that babbling, I just totally lost my other train of thought. Um. It's okay because I have a follow-on comment oh, to the good. victims. You know, nothing in MLM is done with a pure heart. Mm -hmm. In Mary Kay, they will teach you that you're just sharing and you're helping women feel better about themselves. And that is complete BS. You are looking for a victim that you're eventually going to try to recruit and it's not okay. So yes, they are victims. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So, so, so I got in, it was it was around 1998, 1999. And I, again, was looking towards you know, this commitment, I thought if I worked Mary Kay every evening after my regular job in a period of six to 12 months, I'll be able to leave my job. I will have this full blown, you know, small business. I'll be self-employed. I will rise through the ranks of Mary Kay and become a sales director, which is the top 2% of a company. By the way, uh, the vast majority of the sales directors aren't even making minimum wage. So let's just put that out there. And I worked the business for 18 months and, and sorry, I shouldn't even call it a business because Mary Kay is not a business. MLM is not a business. It's all one big scam, but yeah. bear with me as I use incorrect language. Cause we hear it so often. It's your business. It's your business. Right. I did everything I was told to do. I went out, you know, I stalked people at target and at Starbucks and wherever I could find them. I was always talking about Mary Kay. I was always trying to get people interested in holding these classes. I followed, you know, every little handout that they had with ideas for Christmas season or things like that. I was doing all of those things and found it impossible to develop a consistent flow of business. There would be weeks where I would have those three or four skincare classes, and there would be more weeks where I'd have zero or one. And in the evenings, I'd be calling people and emailing them and trying to catch up with people. And the fact of the matter is it just doesn't work the way they tell you it does. It is nearly impossible to build a consistent base of people buying the products and have that consistent flow of new people to potentially recruit them. Absolutely. So I would love to just take a, a look at what, so you've talked about a lot of like scammy things that we do in MLM. Um, oh my gosh, the sun is literally, this is the wrong side. Okay. There we go. Um, you talked a lot about a lot of scammy things that we do in MLM and in particularly some Amway tactics that I hear all the time. I mean, they're, they apply everywhere else, but I hear them the most in Amway. Um, where like you go to the coffee shops and you're looking for people. How was your mental health doing that and being consistently rejected all of the time? I was getting enough intermittent reinforcement that it was okay. I was getting enough yeses that I felt really hopeful. Okay. And I look back now and think maybe that was foolish of me to feel hopeful. But one of the things that certainly in Mary Kay, you are taught is that if you're not having success, it's your own fault. Mm -hmm. So I kept telling myself, this is my own fault. I'm not going to the right places. I'm not talking to the right people. I'm not doing enough activity. 
But then I'd get a yes and I would say, okay, something went right there. Let me see if I can replicate that. So my mental health was okay, I thought. I, I thought it was okay. I, I It took me a bit before I got too discouraged. And by the time I did get discouraged about 12 months into it, I started feeling discouraged. Part of that had to do with the fact that I had so much inventory that I had accumulated. They continue to encourage monthly purchases of inventory, whether or not you need it. And so I had this ever growing pile of inventory or you're going for that next goal. You want to get to that next level and you need to have a certain amount purchased during the month in order to, you know, unlock the key to that next level. And so it was $400 purchased here, $600 purchased there, but I wasn't selling as much. And so the financial pressure was starting to build. And so that's when uh, the financial pressure plus the lack of success then kind of came to a head for me. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if you experienced this in Mary Kay. I, I think this might, I don't remember when the book Go For No came out, but um, did you have some of that? Like how many no's can you get? Yes, because they teach you it's just a numbers game. Just keep right. getting the no's. You'll eventually get the yeses. Right. Okay. So when did things start to flip for you? So was that about that 12 month point where I started to get discouraged and I started kind of paying more attention to what was going on? And I started realizing that people were buying their ways to certain levels. Um, my recruiter had become a sales director, which meant that she had recruited 30 people into the company and collectively they had all ordered a certain amount of products for a period of three or four months. And that was where I wanted to go with my Mary Kay career. And so I was watching her very closely. And what was really interesting was I got my hair cut by the same woman that she got her hair cut by. And I was online looking at something for our, um, our unit that my sales director led and the haircut lady's name popped up as having unit members having a birthday this month. And I said to my sales director, oh gosh, I didn't know that our haircut lady was part of our unit. I, I never realized that. And she said, oh my gosh, don't ever say anything to her. Don't ever say anything to her. I said, why wouldn't I say anything to her? I, I didn't know. And she fumbled around. And the bottom line was she had signed this woman up without her knowledge to get her 30, to get to her 30 people to become a sales director. <gasps> and that was really a defining moment for me because I always knew that when people were trying to get to their 30, that they would sign up grandma, they would sign up mom. But my understanding was always that these people knew they were being signed up, that the, the person trying to become a sales director would sign them up and pay for all the things. And then they had a warm body to count towards their 30. I had never before considered that people signed others up without their knowledge. Oh my God. And you know what? I don't think I've ever really. <sighs> yes and no. Yes and no. I've heard, I've heard some people say some things, but it's like, I feel like it's always been kind of brushed under the rug because it is your grandma or your mom and you're, and you kind of like tell them, but like, not really. You know what I mean? Like they'll like be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to make you an account. And then, right. but like make you an account doesn't mean like make you an Instagram. It means put your social security number in Mary Kay's back office. Right. Absolutely. That was really an eye opener for me. And then it was just a series of events and me keeping my eyes open and seeing, watching people churn through these recruits, watching people um, fail to meet the production numbers that Mary Kay has set forth. So a sales director would suddenly, quote, step down from being a sales director. Well, what that meant was her directorship was taken away from her because she didn't meet production requirements. And then she would try to go through the process all again to become a sales director. Those things were bothering me and starting to mount. And then... I recruited a woman into Mary Kay who was in a domestic abuse situation, and she was looking for an opportunity to earn some extra money to get out from her situation. And I, of course, was thinking Mary Kay was a way for people to actually earn money. Right. 
And I was very sensitive to her situation. And I talked to my sales director and said, I've recruited this woman and she and I have talked about her buying inventory. Cause Mary Kay's big thing is buy inventory. As soon as you come on board, buy a package, um, ideally thousands of dollars. Uh, but in the very worst case scenario, maybe $600 worth. I said to my sales director, I've already talked to this woman about some inventory. We, we had a casual conversation about it and it's not an option for her because her husband would never allow it. And she would be, you know, I shouldn't share this with you, but I am that she would potentially be opening herself up to abuse. Um, if she were to spend $600 on inventory, something like that, she wants to do this all very quietly. And my sales director yelled at me, how dare you? The inventory talk is my thing to do. That is my paycheck you're messing with. If she doesn't order inventory, it impacts my paycheck. Don't you ever do that again. This is my unit. And I said, yeah, but, but you need to understand there's this abuse situation. And she went forward and had this inventory talk with my new recruit. And her complete disregard for this woman's feelings and safety put me over the edge. And I thought I cannot stay in this company any longer. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And also like, just like kind of zooming out a little bit too, like you're supposed to be your own business owner, but you can't talk to the people that you recruit to like help them figure out how they want to run their business. Your upline has to like, that's also messed up. It is also dysfunctional. Now, in the meantime, I had actually started my own forensic accounting practice. I had left the firm that I was at. I had started my own. It was a very difficult go to, to get clients into that business, but I was really excited about it. And so I think I was about eight months into my forensic accounting business when I came to this, you know, had this epiphany about Mary Kay and knew that I wanted to leave. So I talked to my recruiter slash sales director and said to her, here's the deal. I need to step back from Mary Kay for a while. I've been running two businesses, Mary Kay and the forensic accounting practice. And I don't feel I'm doing justice to either of them. And I need to make a choice. And so what I'd like to do is put Mary Kay on the back burner while I focus on the forensic accounting business knowing that I can always come back to Mary Kay if I feel I've made the wrong choice. I, at that time, didn't want conflict. And I wasn't 100% sure in my decision. I was like 95% sure in my decision. And so I sort of did want to leave that door open a little bit in case I was wrong. And she absolutely shamed me for my choice. She made fun of me privately and publicly telling me, that you will never make anyone feel good about themselves by giving them accounting services. I don't know why you would choose something like that. It's, it, it, you know, it's all about money and accounting. And in Mary Kay, it's about so much more. And that was really offensive to me. And it, as I was going through the process of telling her I was leaving, but I wanted to leave this door open, her reaction made me know that I was doing the right thing. Yeah. I think that's really telling too. Um, when you're in some sort of like toxic relationship, if the, you try to leave and they explode on you and they can't like, you know, for an example, no, finish what you're talking about, Danielle. Um, so if you try to leave somewhere and they explode on you, like that's very indicative of you know, there's something not right here. Not always, not always, but I think it is definitely something to look at. And I can think of like personal times where I've had friends talk about like, oh, I want to like move across the country. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, this is a personal attack against our friendship. Um, And I was like, no, you can't go. And then like, you know, over time you're like, okay, well, like if this is best for you, like I support you. And you know, like you should be seeing more and more people be like, oh, if this is what's right for you, then this is, this is what you should do. And I'm so happy for you. And the more that you see that, the more like healthy those areas of your life are. And I think that in MLM, it's just almost never that we see that. It's so self-serving 
But I can tell you that my recruiter spent the next 15 years spinning her wheels in Mary Kay, never making more than probably 25 or $30,000 a year, if even that, uh, which by the way, I mean, there is no shame in any level of earnings. If you do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, Mary Kay is not honest. And given that she had these visions of grandeur where she'd be making $100,000 or more to know that for 15 years, she never made you know, anything more than she could have made at a very ordinary job was a little gratifying to me. And then ultimately she failed and lost her unit. Right. And also knowing that people in MLMs, when you're making even that much money, you are working all of the time. Oh, 60 to 80 hours a week easily. All of the time. Like, it's not like, oh, well, she was working part time and that that's how much she was getting it. It's all of the time. It's beyond full time work. You can't even go on a vacation without working your MLM because they tell you, make sure you have business cards and samples when you're sitting around the pool and you meet someone. Goodness. I don't want to do that when I'm on vacation. Right. Like imagine actually enjoying yourself (laughs) and not always having your business brain turned on and being able to relax. So, um, is there, did we miss anything in your MLM story? Cause I really want to talk about like financial health with you. Well, the important thing we did miss is I left Mary Kay. Mm -hmm. I started having greater success in my forensic accounting business And about five years after I left Mary Kay, I started the website Pink Truth as a way to help expose the truth about Mary Kay to people who are in the company or looking at the company who were potential recruits. And so I started this site and got accused all the time of you're trying to take Mary Kay down. And it was never that. It was always about providing information to people because my theory was, When I got involved in 1998, there was no information. There was nothing out there about Mary Kay on the internet. Let's go ahead and make some information available so that if someone is in the recruiting process and they take the time to Google Mary Kay, they might get to the website Pink Truth and be able to find out the other side of things. Absolutely. And I I think that's, you know, what we're all doing here in the anti-MLM space is just trying to provide other information because- you know, we're not just a bunch of haters. Um, although I would argue that we all hate that people are being manipulated, scammed and drowning in debt because of these companies. Uh, but we don't, we don't hate the people in them. We don't, you know, we're not haters. I hate their actions. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I hate the manipulation and the lies and, you know, the coercion that happens, but the people that are in our victims, just, just like we were, um, And I love that there's more and more information coming forward on the internet that shows the other side. And a lot of us can like acknowledge some of the positive things that we've experienced in these companies. You know, a lot of us made a lot of really good friends. Some occasionally there's some good products, um, but nothing that you can't find usually for cheaper somewhere else. Um, But yeah. Yeah. So thank you for, for that. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so tell us more about like how we can protect ourselves financially and what you do and what resources you have to offer. And like, I don't even really understand what forensic accounting is. So like, I think that's really interesting. And I would love to just like, no, I just want to crack your brain open. <laughs> Well, the overlap here with multi-level marketing is that there is so much financial abuse in MLM and it, you know, it happens with telling lies about how much people are going to make, um, to coercing them to purchase products they don't need, don't want, won't ever be able to sell, has them investing money and going to events and buying tools and signing up for various memberships. And so all of this financial abuse is something really near and dear to my heart as a forensic accountant, because on the daily, I am investigating fraud. And that is a lot of times on the corporate level, when executives are stealing money from companies or manipulating the financial statements, 
but it also, my work also happens on the personal side as well. And it is, you know, people getting in disputes over money, maybe individual business owners who partners who are fighting with each other, but a lot of it is in the divorce space. And I see so many parallels between financial abuse in marriages and financial abuse in MLM. So as weird as it sounds, that's how it all comes together for me, for my interest in numbers and fraud and people protecting themselves. And that makes total sense because you're right. There is so much financial abuse in multi-level marketing. And I mean, we've even just talked about it, like people creating fake accounts for people like that. That is financial abuse. It absolutely is. I, uh, you know, I think about the thousands of dollars that people lose in MLM and it makes me so sad because the people who get involved in MLM by and large, cannot afford to lose that money. They came in because they needed to make extra money. And whether they lost $500 or $5,000, that amount of money was probably very meaningful to their family. And so it's really disheartening to me to see those individual losses. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what we talk about all the time is making a profit profit and loss statement. Do you have any suggestions or uh, tweaks to that? Like frame that we've been putting forward in the anti-MLM space? It's very, very much keep it as simple as possible. Money in, money out. And if, by the way, if it's going on a credit card, that's money out. So let's just, let's just be clear about that. But it shouldn't be complicated to put that together for yourself. You know how much you've sold. You know how much money has come in. You know, you can look at your bank account and see what's come in and you know what you've spent. And so keeping track of those details are so important. And what I find in MLM is that your upline is going to discourage you from actually putting those numbers together. They don't want you to do that because they know if you put it together, you'll see what those losses are. They're going to discourage you from sharing with your spouse or your partner what those numbers look like because the spouse or partner who isn't involved in the MLM probably has a lot more objective view of this And they're going to look at it and say, why are we pumping money into this? This makes no sense. You're gone 20 hours a week, 30 hours a week doing this after your regular job and you're losing money. This makes no sense for our family. Right. And I think that it's so hard because um, they just push the toxic positivity on us so much when you're in MLM that you don't want to see any of the negatives. So then when other people are starting to say, like if a spouse is saying like, what are you doing? Why are you spending all of this money? You don't want to hear it and it gets shut down. And that's usually when people start to get into trouble. Well, and they will manipulate the issue of trust. They will say, if your husband is asking questions about what's going on with the numbers in your Mary Kay business, he must not trust you. You've got to tell him that he should trust you to handle it, that you're a business owner and you can do it. And if he's asking questions, he's not supportive. He doesn't trust you. Well, you know, what's really funny about that is there's a little something in the Mary Kay world called the husband unawareness plan. And it goes like this. It's not an official company thing, but the company knows that this has been happening for 30 or 40 years. You, Danielle, come to a Mary Kay party that I'm having and you love the products and you want to spend $200 on products because you love them so much, but you say, unfortunately, I can't, um, my spouse would not be okay with me spending $200 on that. And I say, we've got something that I call the husband and awareness plan. Could you give me $70 cash today? Give me a credit card for $50 and give me a post-dated check for the balance. And then by splitting it up, your husband probably won't even be aware that you spent this much money. Oh my God. Insidious. Insidious is the best word that I can use for that. That's terrible. That is Diabolical. so, that is so sneaky. And you know, I can only imagine like being in that situation where like, if you were to actually say that to me, like, but also you're pressuring me to buy something. 
and you're my friend, then I would be like, oh, well, like you want the best for me. You're just trying to like make this work out and I'm trying to help you in your business. So I can like feel all of the like complications of this, of like that little, that, that piece of you that's like, ah, this is sneaky and wrong is also getting wrapped up in the like, well, you're my friend and you're offering me this so that way I can get what I want, which is obviously to join the business. Well, and you're not technically lying to your husband because it's all there if he took the time uh, to look far enough. But what they're doing is they're eroding your morals little by little. So if that dishonesty, that little white lie is okay, then what's the next little white lie? So we get to a point where you're a part of the recruiting process and the little white lie is you're not telling the potential recruit, I've been in this company for six months and I haven't made a dime. I've actually spent $2,500. You're not going to tell your recruit that, but you're going to justify in your mind that it's okay to withhold that information from her. It's It becomes easier. Every successive lie becomes easier to tell. Wow. Wow. That is so scammy. Oh, so I get so riled up about this. Yeah. <laughs> I totally understand why you're so riled up about this. Oh my goodness. I just, I have such like mixed feelings right now too. Like I'm feeling that pit in my stomach of like sadness for the victim that is trying to, you know, get makeup or skincare or whatever. And they're just trying to, you know, support their friend's business and have fun and do all these good things. And then also the consultant who is clearly so desperate but also doing something like that's so flat out wrong like let me tell you how to split up your money so that way nobody notices like ew that's so gross well it's also so gross that they are promoting this concept that if your husband your partner thinks critically about the finances in your MLM and your family's finances as they're attached to this MLM. If your partner thinks critically about that, it means they're unsupportive. Yeah. 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 It's so interesting how they're able to really imply all of these things without always outright saying them, although they do outright say them sometimes too. Um, mm-hmm. But like, there's a lot of implications in the way that they deliver things that can just change the way your brain is functioning and the way you're thinking about things. Like this is how manipulation works is that, you know, you start with one thing that's like a grain of truth and then all of a sudden it snowballs into like this massive manipulation. Oh, welcome to 2023 guys. (laughs) So, I, I honestly, I'm just so like caught up in this. I, I can't even think of what I want to ask you next. Um, so off offline, you had mentioned uh, that you have like a questionnaire to kind of, I know this is kind of pivoting. Uh, so can you kind of like talk about that a little bit? Well, I mentioned that I work in the area of divorce Mm -hmm. in my fraud investigation business. And there are so many parallels with MLM, believe it or not, when it comes to the issue of financial infidelity and financial abuse. And so, you know, people, um, you know, you're married, you trust your spouse. Typically you trust one spouse to handle the money. We divide and conquer in marriages and, you know, we have different responsibilities. One, one person mows the lawn while the other person drops the kids off at school every morning, right? We just share the things. And so when it comes to money, it's often the same kind of thing where one spouse is taking responsibility for the budgeting and the bills and things like that. When we get to this point of divorce, which is where I come in. The spouse that hasn't been handling the money oftentimes has a lot of questions. And those questions can range from, you know, on the low end, it's just, I don't know what's been going on with our money. And on the far end of it is, I think my spouse has been hiding money or had some secret spending, maybe on an affair or an addiction, something like that. And so a person is left asking a lot of questions about 
the finances and they don't know, should I be worried? What should I be looking into if anything? And so I put together an assessment that I call the red flag assessment and red flags are simply warning signs that something might be wrong with the money. What I was finding was that the people who are getting divorced and having these questions about money don't know how to evaluate. Is this something I should be worried about or not? I've seen some signs. I've had some questions, maybe some financial documents disappeared. I don't know where they are anymore. Is that something to be worried about? So I put together um, this quiz, this assessment, 15 questions that someone can go through. It asks them about their financial setup with their spouse um, and some of these signs that they may have seen. Check off, have you seen these things? And at the end, they get my assessment of how worried should you be about the potential for financial fraud in your marriage? Right, right. That's awesome. I think that that's great to have, especially, you know, we know that people that are in MLMs, when it gets really, really bad, often it can lead to divorce um, and tension in the marriage. And because MLMs are money, like we're talking about money when we're talking about MLMs, um, there are probably a ton of people that are in not great situations that are listening that could definitely use that screener to kind of help them figure out what direction to go in. Um, so if somebody goes through this assessment and they find that they have all of the red flags or enough of the red flags that they should be very concerned, um, I think that it's not always possible for people, especially like you said, people that are going into these MLMs are often already needing that $500, that $1,000, whatever money they're putting into it. Like that's important money to them. Um, so how can they access service services like yours and also not uh, go broke? Not spend $10,000? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. When people are in the process of divorce, if they're in, you know, an online support group, or there's a lot of Facebook groups that cater to people who are getting divorced, who give each other advice and ask questions. Here's my situation. What can I do? What do you think? One of the things that often comes up as it relates to financial issues in divorce is that people will say, you need a forensic accountant to look into your finances and see if your spouse was hiding money. Well, forensic accountants are inaccessible to probably 95% of the people in divorce because you're talking about a monetary commitment of 10, 15, $20,000 to have a forensic accountant do what you need in a divorce. So I created the divorce money guide as a do-it-yourself option, okay. basically walking people through what the financial part of their divorce is going to look like, what financial documents they need to get and where they can find them. And then focusing on bank statements, credit card statements, and tax returns, helping people get those documents and then telling them exactly what to look for in them to determine if their spouse was hiding money or spending it inappropriately. So that's the low cost option. Wow. That's awesome. I love it when people, you know, are able to use their brain and make something so cool like that, that's accessible to way more people. So that's awesome that that's on uh, the table that you created that. Um, where can people find that? Divorcemoneyguide.com. Nice. I make is, it really simple to find. Yeah. Is that where people can find you in general or? They can find me in general there. Okay. Absolutely. Nice. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about today? Oh, I could go on for hours, Danielle. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> it's what do you want to talk about? You know, I, I could also go on for ages, but I just am unsure. I guess I'm unsure where to go. Because there's so much that we could talk about. Right. I know it's, um, as I've been going on various podcasts and, and now I've done a few, um, in the MLM industry, because it's so near and dear to my heart. I know people are probably saying like, what is this overlap between divorce and MLM? And you know, what I've seen in my experience is the financial pressures of MLM do at times uh, impact marriages to the point of divorce. And, but, 
you know, everybody knows someone who's getting divorced and those financial infidelity and financial abuse issues are so parallel to MLM. And so I just decided, even though it doesn't seem completely obvious why we want to talk about divorce on an MLM focused podcast, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to get out there and do it. Why not? I think it's so important. It's so important. Um, have you noticed, um, how do I say this? Do you like, do you have any like statistics about like how many people in MLM get into divorces or anything like that? Do you, I I don't really know how I'm asking. (laughs) I don't, there aren't statistics about that because, um, I don't think anyone's really studied that issue. It'd be an interesting issue to study. I can tell you that there are about 700,000 divorces filed every year in the United States, which is probably a lot more than you were thinking. That's so many. That's so many. Well, and I set out with the goal of helping 1000 people a year have better financial outcomes in their divorces. And when I say better financial outcomes, what I mean is them being more informed about what has happened to their money and how much money they do have and where it all is. Because it's so important to me that before you sign any sort of divorce settlements, before you agree to anything, that you fully understand your finances first. And in my consulting business, you know, I probably handle on average um, five or six divorces a year in addition to the other kinds of cases that I work on. And my thought was with the divorce money guide, I could help so many more people. What if I could help a thousand people a year out of that 700,000 who file for divorce? Wow. When did you come up with that? It was the end of February of 2022 that I came up with the concept of the divorce money guide. I of course didn't have a name yet for it because that took a little bit. And I had the completed product 87 days later. And when I say completed product, I mean, it's heavily video based, but there's videos, there's written materials that go along with it. In case you're not interested in watching videos, there's worksheets, there's checklists that walk you through what you need to do and things like that. But I, I just, I got the idea and I wanted to make it happen. And what I found in talking to people about making a digital product like this is that where most people fail is they never actually finish their product. They get it 80% of the way done and then they never complete it and bring it to market. So I said, okay, I'm not going to be that statistic. And I just got it done in 87 days. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. Okay. So do you think you could talk to us a little bit about what are some of the big red flags that you see in divorces and financial situations with divorces? Absolutely. There are laundry lists of red flags that I could talk about. And again, red flags of fraud in a marriage are signs that something is going wrong with the money. So they're not proof of fraud. They're not the evidence you might need in your divorce to prove that something is going on, but they're, I I like to think of them as warning signs. So let me tell you about a couple of the most common ones. One of the things that I see is a spouse becoming more secretive about things. It might be more secretive behavior, like where they're going and what they're doing. It might be them not revealing information about your finances to you. So maybe you previously had access to the online banking. You could sign into the account and one day the password doesn't work anymore. And your spouse is the one who's in control of the password and won't tell you what the new password is. That kind of secret behavior is one of the most common red flags that I see in marriages. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense to me. That definitely like, so it's interesting. Uh, and I I am definitely very privileged to say I have a very happy, healthy marriage in my opinion. Um, and we actually split financial responsibilities. Like I take care of half and he takes care of another half. Um, but so I don't have access to all of those accounts just because my brain can't hold them all. Um, but I know that I would be able to get access if I asked for it. You know, there, there have been times where I've been able to ask for things like that. So I think that 
that would be such a big red flag for me though if I wasn't able if I knew I wasn't able to like there has been a time where I was like oh I have like an extra whatever like let me log in to this so I can like add this to our mortgage or whatever um and it's always been like yeah let's go (laughs) versus you know hiding the hiding and things like that or you know accounts that we are both on things like that so I think that that's really a good thing to point out that if you're if there is secrets around money and secrets around accounts um even even bills too I would say too right because you know if you think that somebody is paying off a bill and they're not you could be left in a really bad situation if your name is also on that yes I would also look for changes in behavior, especially as it relates to the money. So if your spouse is spending larger amounts of money than ever before, maybe um, taking money out at the ATM when they didn't before or more frequently when they than they used to, if they are suddenly going against agreements that you have about the money, for example, most spouses have an agreement where neither of us will spend over a certain amount of money without talking to the other person first. Maybe that's $500 or $1,000. And if you find that your spouse has violated that agreement, that is a huge red flag to me. Right. Yep. Again, definitely makes sense. And, you know, just things that you're not always thinking about, right? Like, to look for for red flags you might think that this is just like oh like this is the one-off thing that happened to me but when you add up all of the dots it's like oh there could be a problem here right you could look for things like you know documents have gone missing you have a file cabinet drawer that always had your tax returns in them and now those tax returns aren't there anymore that's weird that is weird if i were married and i was going to throw away the tax returns that we had in the drawer that was sitting there for years. I would tell my spouse first, I would say, Hey, by the way, I'm going to clean out some files that we have. We have some old tax returns that we don't need anymore. I just want to let you know, I'm going to throw those out. I'm going to shred them. Okay. But if I'm secretly getting rid of those, that's probably a warning sign. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, for all of the neurodivergent people that are listening to this podcast, it that does not mean people that like forget to tell you. Um, that's people purposefully not telling you. <laughs> right. And I think what's important too is when I'm talking about these red flags, if you were to see one of these, I would say, don't worry about it. It's when you're seeing multiple signs where you're like, wait a second. I do tell people, trust your gut. And if your gut says this doesn't quite feel right, then you want to examine it a little bit more. But going back to, we talked earlier about this red flag assessment that I have. The reason I created that assessment is because when you are in the marriage and you are seeing some of these signs, you're not a fraud expert and you're certainly not objective, right? Like you love your spouse. You're like in it. It's really hard to step back and say, should I be worried? Is this a big sign? Is it a little sign? I don't know. So that's why I put the assessment together where I ask you about some of these different things. And there might be things you check off on that assessment to say, yep, I saw that. I saw that. But they might be little signs that I, as a fraud investigator, wouldn't be all that worried about while others are big signs. And so I said, let me just like put it together in a little quiz so people can check off what applies to them and they can get objective feedback on do you think you should really be worried or not? Yeah, I think that's great too, because this gives you a starting off point before you just like kind of jump the gun and you're like, what, like one little thing doesn't smell right. So I'm going to call a forensic account. Ghostbusters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like well, Ghostbusters. Yeah. Before you like really end up down a rabbit hole of concern. So I really love that you have that red flag assessment because that's perfect for people that are like, ooh, like some of this is ringing alarm bells for me while they're listening. Uh, but you know, sometimes people get jump the gun. <laughs> right. So just like with MLM, if you're involved in MLM and you're starting to see some of the signs and you're getting worried and you're, you're wondering, has my recruiter been honest with me? 
are these numbers true? Is this the way things should really work? Why are we not being honest in the recruiting process? When you start seeing some of those red flags, my best advice to people in MLM is see if you can step back and find someone outside of your MLM to have a talk with, someone who could be objective, where you could tell them the story of what you're seeing and get their feedback. Would they be worried? Because I think having someone on the outside to give you objective feedback can be really, really helpful when you're in it and probably have tunnel vision. Absolutely. I love that. Um, and I think that it, it's not always, I think that, sorry, my words are getting jumbled. I think that it's so good to talk to all three parties, right? You want to talk to somebody that's in it. You want to talk to somebody who's like morally neutral and you want to talk to somebody who's against it. I think that that whole spectrum really puts all the pieces together and you know, you're really able to make an informed decision that way. Well, and I also feel like when someone has to say the words out loud about what has been going on and they hear themselves talk, I think that that helps them gain a lot of clarity. And, and I'm not even trying to be biased about that, like, oh, they're going to hear themselves talk and automatically think that what they're doing is wrong. It's not even that. It doesn't have to be that they're doing anything wrong. Maybe hearing themselves say it out loud confirms for them that they're doing the right thing. Um, it's just, to me, it's so helpful in with my own personal problems. When I talk to a friend and I am saying out loud, here are the considerations that I have. Here's what I've done. Here's what I'm concerned about going forward. I get so much clarity from hearing myself say it. Absolutely. That's uh, why I'm a therapist. <laughs> That's awesome. This is amazing. Is there anything else that you want to go into before I ask you my final question? No, give me the final question. Let's go. I I feel like I already put so much out there and I probably have people's heads swimming, Um, but (laughs) hopefully, you know, everyone found a nugget here or there that they can latch onto. Absolutely. I agree. Um, And even like hopefully everyone listening to this nothing even applied to you and everything is hunky-dory it's in your wallets and your bank accounts and in your marriages but you know it's always nice to have the information of where to go and what to do and what to be on the lookout for because in reality there probably is somebody listening that really needed to hear this today um we don't well, all live everyone- in my dreamland <laughs> Everyone knows somebody getting divorced. So they probably, if they can't personally relate to things that I've talked about in the divorce realm, they probably have a friend who can relate. Right. And you know, although we really honed in on divorce here today, there is financial abuse in other places too. And you can really take what we said and you can try to figure out how it can apply to your other situations. Like if uh, somebody is taking care of your grandmother's finances or something like that there can be things there too if somebody is taking care of a disabled person um and their finances there are plenty of other ways where financial fraud and manipulation come into play and i think it's just really important that we're aware of these things because we need to be looking out for each other agreed so my final question is what is your anti mlm why My anti-MLM why is just the financial protection of people. I just want people to have information available to them so that they can make the informed decision that I could not make back when I signed up for Mary Kay. I love that. And I think that that is, I mean, that's really why we're here, right? Is because we've all lost money. And we don't want other people to lose money and be manipulated and think that they have this giant girl gang of friends that are looking out for them. Um, so thank you so much for that. Can you tell us where people can find you? I don't know if you're on Instagram or if you have a, a professional Instagram that people can find you at. I'm on Instagram with the handle divorce money guide. So Super find easy. me everywhere simply by typing in divorce money guide. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tracy. Um, and also guys, I'll put all of this information in the show notes. That way you have an easy, even easier way to find her. 
Um, Tracy is absolutely wonderful and a joy to talk to. So I'm sure that she would love to hear questions from you guys and point you in the right direction if you are coming across some of those red flags that we discussed today. So I'm just so glad to have found you as a resource and I'm glad you reached out. Well, thanks again for having me. It's been fun. Thanks so much. All right, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed. Bye. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, Huns, I just wanted to take a second to tell you guys about Acorn. And no, this is not a sponsored ad. Acorn is a robo-investing account that I've been using to manage my money since I've started my own small business. I honestly had no idea what I was doing in regards to saving for the future, but knew I needed to start somewhere and thought this was a great way to get the ball rolling. I really like the interactive graphics and watching what's going on with my money. If this is something that you feel interested in, feel free to click the link in my bio to start your own Acorn account, and we'll both get $5 added in our accounts for our investing future. Happy savings!